0: Hey guys, what's up? It's Jeremy here with Cartel Aristocrats After Hours number 5. I'm joined this week finally with Travis Allen, who was finally able to make it on the cast. Ed is recording from the middle of hell, so we apologize for his audio ahead of time. He decided the best place to be recording from would be a airport terminal in which there is a little box that sound echoes out of. So I'm not quite sure what he's doing there. He also joined uh, twice. Yeah, he also joined twice, and of course we it wouldn't be a cartel cast without Douglas Johnson coming up with an excuse last minute to not be on the cast. He has now dodged three invitations in a row to make it on. So, I guess after he left the cast, he never decided to come back. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much it. What are you drinking this week, Travis? This
1: is a uh, same thing as two, yesterday, two nights ago, just the Basil Hayden's. <clears throat> trying to the- It's decent. I'm trying to get through the bottle. Um, I have Angel's Envy Reserve, which is their Angel's Envy, which is aged in rum casks, but I don't drink that often, especially if I can't sit and pay attention to it. And I want to get through this bottle of Basil Hayden so I can try a bottle of McCollin that you and Ed shared with us at uh, Vegas. Makes
0: sense. I'm currently drinking a prairie artisan ale, the paradise edition, with a hint of coconut and a splash of vanilla. You say it's
1: that's actually... your second one? What you say that's your second one? This is now my third. So, for our listeners, those are 14%. <laughs> <laughs> Any good stout will be well over 10%, like 11 to 11 and up. Like generally 12 or 13 are standard. The good one, if you find the really good ones, they're like 17. Those are fun. Dogfish had higher higher math. If you can find a bottle of that, that is amazing. So I'm currently drinking to celebrate uh, finally
0: finishing off this guy's collection. Uh, It's like one of the biggest collections most people have seen in a long time. Uh, His bulk came to like five figures worth of cards and buy list. Uh, so I decided to get a steak, get a cheesecake, grab a bunch of beers, and just have a little myself party before I came on the cast.
1: I can't imagine bringing in a box of cards like, um, maybe I can get like three or $400 for this box. And then the guy at the store is like, this is worth fourteen grand." And this is
0: the third time this guy's come in to sell, and every time he's been like, wait, these cards are worth money?
1: Like Caracas, he's like, I thought this was a quarter. I can I think the. I can see the first time, right? Like the first time you bring in your magic cards, you have no clue what they're worth. But when you bring in cards and you see that much of a markup, don't you kind of go like, huh, maybe these other ones are worth a ton of money.
0: Yeah, like even on the trops, he sold me four alpha trops like a, a month ago, I guess. And he's like, oh yeah, these are worth money because they're black bordered and alpha and they're like gradable because the people I sold them to are getting them graded. And then we find revised dual lands and his stuff. And he's like, I didn't think non-black bordered ones were worth money. Like that, that level.
1: That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Well, these ones are worth <laughs> $1,000 a piece, but the ones with a different color border are probably worthless. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, this Mercedes is junk because it's the wrong year. He I actually was
0: driving a course. very sweet car that I can only presume was bought by Magic Cards because it looked brand new but I'm not going to judge the guy for his lifestyle choices. Uh, But it it was pretty crazy. Um, Yeah, so we had actually gotten a lot of feedback about how to manage your money, and I'm not doing a very responsible job of it right now. Uh, I I bought this tonight. I have uh, 10 collections guaranteed plus whatever walks in the door on Friday. And then I'm buying out a shop on Saturday and buying out three people selling out a vintage on Sunday. So I will have zero money left over by Monday.
1: So that is, uh, yeah, that is the exact opposite of what we all told everyone to do the other day. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that's good on you. (laughs) Uh, I was glad to hear that people like actually thought what I said was useful. Sometimes I figure a lot of it probably is lost to the ether, but uh, it is really nice to hear that people actually, not that like it's less of a ego stroking thing but more of like oh, it's good to know that I'm actually helping people like I'm glad that it's you totally find that useful. It's totally
0: an ego stroke thing um but you you bring the cast down to earth I think you you put it on that level that people can relate to rather than like some guy walking in with five figures worth of like bulk like that doesn't happen to anyone that has never happened up until this point with me like until this guy showed
1: up I feel like this is like the third time you've told a story of this nature in our Facebook chat right yeah but this is the first time he thought it was bulk ah okay
0: so, <laughs> there's a big difference between thinking you know what your cards are worth and just having no clue gotcha
1: well yeah I mean I yeah I don't think that that's because I'm particularly uh it's the right word here I don't think that it's because I know more than anyone else, like you were at it, just a matter of uh, having a different scale of operations keeps me a little more in touch with what most of our listeners do on a daily basis. Plus, you know, before I started, you know, I've been writing over at MTG price and just writing articles and this type of stuff for, Oh my God, I think it's this summer was the end of the fourth year. Might've been the end of the fifth year. So it's been a while, but, uh, even before that I started back in Zendikar it was my first FNM, um, even though I'd played magic for a long time before that, but almost before I showed up at FNM, I was already kind of like looking at card prices and that type of thing. Um, and thinking about it cause I'm just a very financially oriented person. So I have been grinding trades, uh, since Zendikar the day I walked into FNM. So I, I, you know, all of our listeners out there who are doing this type of stuff, like I was there, I was in the stores. It was a you know, I was the guy with the binder. If anyone in the store wanted a card, they came to me. I was wore out two backpacks carrying those things. It was so weird the first time I went to a magic event and didn't have a binder and I wasn't seeking trades. It was it was a change.
0: What was your goal from all that? Like most people have a goal when they're trading. What was yours?
1: Play free. I mean, it was really what it was. It was just build, build a collection, play standard FM for free, and maybe I guess at first it was not pay for my cards or pay as little as I could. And then I kind of was starting to turn the corner on that and was like, Oh, legacy and extended look cool. So it'd be kind of cool to do that. And this was right around the time of the legacy boom, um, a little before that. So like, as I was thinking about getting the legacy, I had just gotten a real job a couple months ago. So finally had a little bit of thought I had money to burn important distinction. And, uh, like, I was part of some private sale, private groups and people were selling, When Armagoy was $200. I was able to find them for like one ten. So I was scooping up that, you know, spending a month's worth of rent on two or three cards every couple of weeks. <laughs> uh, and then that, and then I kind of like, Oh, I'm going to just try and build a legacy deck and then I'm going to try and build a modern deck and then I'm going to try and build modern, just modern. Uh, And then, you know, once I kind of reached that point, it was just making money. And I, you know, kind of stopped playing magic because I also grew up a little bit. And I don't mean that to say you can't play magic if you're older, just like being old gets in the way.
0: Yeah, it's definitely a problem. I know a lot of people that are starting to grow disillusioned with
1: it because they have kids or other responsibilities on Friday nights. I don't even think it's disillusionment. I mean, it can be for some people. I'm sure it is, but it's more just like. You gotta make you you don't have the time for it anymore. And magic's one of those things where you can show up and play once a week, right? And like that's fine. You you do that, you have a good time, and you're done. But it's hard to if you've ever been into magic, like most of us have been at some point, at least pretending to live a pro tour dream, to just start showing up to F and M and putting zero effort into like thinking about your deck into building the deck and all that type of stuff. Like it's not fun anymore because you're not trying as hard as you used to be. So it's just like. I don't want to, even though I could spare the four or five hours for FNM each week, because I can't put any other thought or effort into it. It's not fun. So I'm just not even going to bother. I'm just going to do something else that will give me better returns on my time in terms of enjoyment. So like our group used to M every single Friday for, I think there was like a three year stretch where I did not miss an FNM, like literally didn't miss one. Uh, so it was like a, you know, 156 FNM or yeah, 156 FMs in a row. But then, uh, Nowadays, we all just play board games. Like the same group is just migrated into like hanging out, drinking a beer, and playing a game, and not really worrying about it. Getting a decent dinner It was around the time that we all started to appreciate eating better food too. So like we could go out, whereas F and M, you're stuck eating like half price apps at Applebee's after F and or eating at four thirty in the afternoon before F and type thing.
0: Was your shop not near a place with food, or was it just you didn't want
1: to leave the shop while F and M was going on because you were trading? None of them had reasonable well so yes i wanted to trade constantly and none of them had really good food options at the time and you're basically just too busy to actually go eat what about you yeah i got i mean i got super lucky man like
0: i don't i got into magic just getting lucky at a yard sale like my life is basically a story of humble brags i guess you could say and i'm super lucky for it um casual shop if you think Missouri's uh, a little rural, it's like a rural part of Missouri, like on the last highway out of town. And it was owned by this really big fat guy, like real big. Um, I'm glad they included by... that. <laughs>
1: that was relevant well, to the so story. there's a
0: <laughs> So he would, he would sit there, and he wouldn't move during the entire M. He would just sit in his chair and stare at his computer while we all played. And that was the level of support that we got. And everyone liked each other. We, we uh, It was all legacy players and or judges. So we would have legacy FNM. Everyone would lend each other decks. We'd all try it out. I actually brought this back at our the shop. one of the shops I'm working with now where we have legacy FNM with a bunch of people that lend out decks to different people. It's been a ton of fun.
1: And it's um, cool if you can support it.
0: Yeah, I lent out like four decks last week and then someone else lent out another four decks and then like on top of that we had like nine more people show up
1: it's, so it's uh,
0: dangerous not really so i lent out like burn budget death and taxes storm to a player i trust and then like a couple other people but i don't lend decks out to players i don't
1: know that doesn't really happen you you couldn't right <laughs> I mean, you like you could, but it'd basically just be like handing them two or three thousand dollars and being like, "Please don't walk away with this lot of cash." So I lent someone a set of forcibles for our charity tournament, and they drove three hours
0: out of town, and then they got home, opened up their deck, and realized that they uh they had them. I forgot about them, and I get a phone call that night after working like eighteen hour shift or something, and he's like crying because he he's like thinks I'm gonna call the cops on him.
1: I'm just like something. laying my. What? Was he a kid or something? Yeah, he was like 19. Okay. So like right out of high school. Yeah, I mean, he's if like, you're just out of high school, that's like a, a load of cash to feel like you just walked away from.
0: Yeah, so like I'm laying my head down on the pillow and I get a call and he's like, oh my god, Jeremy, have you called the cops? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like,
1: well, Oh, I, I stole four
0: forceables. And I'm like, did you? I'm like, I didn't notice because we have a pretty deep stack of forceables in the shop. Humble brag, I guess, but like they they sell, easy, they, we buy them faster than we sell them, especially with the reprint. And so he was freaking out because that's like a full week's paycheck for him or something. And I didn't really care because like at worst I'm out like 160 bucks on the buy list and I can write it off on my taxes on the end of the year. And like, I don't know, but like he, he posted this thing on one of the local magic groups about like how generous of a TO I was because I didn't call the cops on him. <laughs> Because, you know, I was focused on this one kid I lent Force souls to versus the 80 other people, and they're trying to do deals. Yeah. <laughs> so that was well, pretty fun.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, you know, examples like that uh, are, are cute in a way. And, you know, I feel like stuff like this also kind of reminds you, like, maybe, maybe, well, I guess it depends on who you are, but it, it has a way of reminding you of what our level – of clientele is like some of our listeners and cast type of thing. Like we just like, Oh, I talked about heart of uh heart of Kieran last week. So I, you know, like, yeah, I casually bought like 25 play sets, right. Which for a lot of people's like have never spent that much money on magic in their life. And like, we will spend that much and not even like mention it. Like it's just a blip on the radar. Uh, But yeah, a lot of people, you know, they don't toss that much money at it. And honestly, more power to them. You know, if you haven't developed that habit, it's stay away. Yeah,
0: it'll make us less money long term, but it is not healthy. You go from not wanting to spend more than $10 a card. I think all magic players go through this. It's like, all right, $10 is my max. And it's like, well, this one's 15. And the next thing you know, you're like spending $50 on a card and you're not thinking about it down the road.
1: Yeah, so gotta be careful. I mean, I remember wringing my hands over spending $20 on a set of uh, doubling seasons, $20 on a set of doubling seasons, because I was like, ah, this deck is really cool, and I want to play it, and I guess I'll spend the money for it. It's it's worth it, because it's going to be the best deck in my collection type of thing.
0: Yeah, I spent $7 on a Blight Steel Colossus right at like Star City St. Louis in 2012, I want to say. And I was like, I can never do this again. And then the next Star City, St. Louis, I bought a Gaias Cradle for thirty dollars, and I was like, Oh my god, that's so much money for a piece of cardboard. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, Oh, a Russian foil Karn adds to cart, checks out, throws in cube. Yeah, like it's, <laughs> it's crazy.
1: Yeah, and it's it's funny. It catches up to me even personally because like I don't really think much about the, the the amount of money I'm putting in the specs because I know they're not mine. Like all of these are gonna are going to flip. Like I bought. I like probably 400 ish dollars worth of, um, uh, Captain Sissés. Cause they were like $11. And I was like, Oh yeah, I should buy those. And like, I didn't really think I didn't think I mean, I $400 in it, nothing like in my personal life, I go, you know, something happens I'm, like $20. Come on. So, but it's just, it's an investment and I know that I'm going to make it back, but it's funny. Cause it also slips into my personal card buying decisions. Just like you just mentioned, I'm, like for a Russian car and a grand done. And meanwhile, I'm like, thinking about I'm thinking about building a cleric tribal deck and uh, somebody one of the our listeners uh the gentleman wait I can tell you his name because I'm sure he'll appreciate it David Sharman messaged me and was like hey you should track out this cleric that like exiles all creatures at instant speed all creatures and then returns them to play at the end of turn and I'm like oh man you do that and then you put containment priests in the play and you just exile all creatures for four mana six mana and two cards which is kind of funny uh, and then I'm like okay I wonder what containment priests cost these days. So I go look at it and I'm like, ah, oh, 10 bucks. It's dumb. And then I'm like, oh wait, there's a masterpiece an invocation containment priests and they're 30. Yeah, I'll buy that. And like, it was like, I complained about $10 for the cheap one. And then I saw the invocation for $30 and like, I didn't even hesitate. I'm like, I will take that. I will buy one of these. And I'm like, I would have never just like so casually and quickly bought that card for my personal collection years ago. I at least would have been like, I can make do with a cheap, like, you know, crummy copy, but this, this I will pay for. Have you ever
0: looked at a card sitting on a stack and been like, why the hell did I pay like a million times multiplier for this? Like uh, expedition Sol ring that you're gonna throw on a deck or something. And you're just like, you know, I could have bought one of these for a dollar and I spent like $150 on this. Why? Like that could have been like an investment. It could have been a trip. It could have
1: been a nice meal out. Um, Not really, I guess. I, so I totally understand what you're saying. I generally don't because I see all of it as, I guess, temporary. So like I have an an invention soul ring that came in a, basically because I bought like, I don't know, like eight or nine of them back when they were still pretty cheap. And I was like, okay, I'm not selling all nine of these at once. I'll list like one on TCG player and the rest is just going to sit here. So I'll put it in my deck so I can use it. But I, you know, when I look through my my EDH stuff, I'm not like, you know, oh man, I can't believe I spent this much much on the card. It's like, okay, if this crosses the threshold, I'll sell it. It's fine. Like, I don't expect to own it for my entire life. But I can see why people would feel that way.
0: Yeah, I I just don't know. Like, sometimes I'm like, every time I've cubed, it's like, holy shit, this is worth it. I've got seven friends. We've got beers. We've got pizza. We've got chocolate. We're going to have a great night. And then, like, when I can't cube, it's like, why did I buy these cards that I'm never going to be able to resell again?
1: <laughs> so, yeah, That's a particularly brutal uh, investment because it's just like all foil Russian cards and you're not going to be able to get rid of it.
0: Ever, which is sort of one of the reasons why I bought it because my living expenses are pretty low and I make a very small amount of money off of finance besides like living expenses and tuition and stuff like that. So that extra money, because I'm very comfortable like outside of, of uh, college, is just like, yeah, I'll spend like my entire paycheck for the month on Russian foils and like not have to worry about next month, which is super lucky.
1: Really comfortable outside of Magic. Do tell. I don't want to really get into
0: it too much on the cast, but I was very lucky to grow up the way I did. Didn't you which tell me sort of we started that
1: the whole point of this is to talk about things we can't talk about during normal casts?
0: <laughs> I just meant like specifics.
1: So like I know before I was
0: like 13, I had already been to like 12 countries, which is like a ton. And like it wasn't like Mexico and the Caribbean, it was like all over the world. Yeah. And you look back and you're just like, you know, like number one, why did you light this much money on fire taking us everywhere? And number two, it's like these kids that i'm growing up with it's like hey we're not going to have similar experiences because they'll be like oh russia is full of like dancing bears on unicycles and it's like well i've been to russia and it's not like that and you're talking to like some high school kid about that and he's like what the hell are you talking about um i don't know it's interesting i i think the other thing is like when someone sells out of a collection they're like, I get $2,000. And then you think about like how much it costs to mortgage a house, how much it costs to buy a car, or like some of the things you've seen some of your wealthier friends spend money on, like Royal, etc. for example, which is something I keep bringing up.
1: How much is that, like, by the way?
0: It's like $150 per little tin. I want to say it's $150 per ounce. I've never luckily bought it. My friend who collects caviar, even though it only lasts for like two to six weeks, let me have some when I went over there.
1: Yeah, stuff like that. I didn't think you could really collect caviar. Mm
0: -mm. There's a there's a lifetime on it. I want to say it's a a month and a half if you like freeze it or something, but I'm not the caviar expert.
1: Yeah. Or like
0: I don't know, like we went sailing a lot when I was younger, which is like not something people are used to, but it's cool to like have that experience where like you just sort of sail away from the coast for a week. And you just like hang out and go fishing all week. It gives you a new perspective on life about what matters, I guess.
1: Well, sort of cool. I, I suppose it's a, a lovely experience to be able to have. I mean, basically everyone listening to this cast doesn't have that option. Right, and that's what I'm
0: saying is this is like, you wanted more background, that's the background, is I was lucky enough to be exposed to all these ideas. I mean, you want to talk about something we could debate on the cast, uh, financial uh, education, teaching high schoolers how to invest, how to write a check, um, like not to take out these massive student loans by private companies versus like getting a Pell Grant by the government. Uh, there, it's, it's insane how what I was taught doesn't transfer to the common populace as far as saving money, like understanding that that credit card that some representative offers you in college is not free money. You do have to pay that back at some point. You can't just keep swiping it until you hit your credit limit.
1: Yeah, I was always kind of surprised at how people, I, I don't want to sound, mm, I don't want to come off incorrectly. I was always a little surprised at how easily people fall into the trap of the credit card at that age. I understand how sometimes it's the only option people have in a dire situation, but when you're 18, it's like, how do you not get the, the consequence and the permanency of that, right? Like you're old enough to know that it's not free money, whatever.
0: I don't think you're mature enough at that age. I don't even think I was mature until like
1: six months ago. Let us <laughs> know when it happens. What? Let us know when it happens.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like there you, you start looking toward at least for me, like I start looking at graduation and I'm just like, Okay, now what am I gonna do? Okay, I'm gonna become a lawyer. Okay, now what am I gonna do after that? Okay, well now I need a job, stuff like that. And then you, you look at like what you've been doing and like all the stu- like I, I bought avocado toast every day this week so far with like two lattes every day.
1: And that's a lot of money that adds up. That is so, uh, avocados are yeah. not preventing you from buying a house, but they are still kind of pricey. Think yeah. About. That's like
0: $14 a day in miscellaneous expenses that I can just throw away. Cause my living expenses are super low. And like, I don't have to pay for anyone else, I guess. Like I'm not in your position where I'm supporting two people, especially yeah. for like a wedding.
1: I'm so. not, not, I'm not supporting two people, but yeah, some people are, and that's, that's tough for sure. And you know, nobody should feel like we're giving them a hard time for it. You know, we all, well, I'm giving you a hard time for it cause I can, and because you should get a hard yeah. time for it, but most of our listeners shouldn't feel bad. You know, I did not come from money at all and I still don't.
0: No, but you you've at least learned what money is and a lot of people that I grew up with did not.
1: Well, and you know, it's, it's interesting to, to see. Problem, right?
0: Yeah, well it's like interesting to see they'll get like a 65-70,000 starting in the middle of Missouri and they'll be like this is nothing and it's like you don't understand how lucky you are. Like you have zero college debt, you have zero like anything. You you're driving a car that your parents bought you. Like it it's lucky.
1: 65 or 70 and it's the St. Louis, Missouri area seems pretty crazy. What's the like average household income over there? Um, where I'm living right now, we're in St. Louis. Uh, are they different?
0: Yeah, I don't. I don't live in St. Louis. Oh, where do you live? Uh, so I'm in Columbia, Missouri. The average income is thirty-five thousand. The average income in St. Louis is forty-two thousand, and the average income where I grew up was one hundred and fifteen thousand. So it's very different.
1: Yeah. Well, those average income things can get really distorted, especially if you live in like a small district in Connecticut type thing and there's like, you know, a couple thousand families and you have several billionaires in the area that from Manhattan. But I know what you mean. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like it would be higher, except there's one trailer park in the 40,000 residents that's like a thousand residents which is low-income housing, basically. How dare they? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, The city actually put a highway installed around the trailer park so that you would no longer have to drive through it. You used to have to drive through it and look at it, and they were like, let's just build a highway around it so that these people don't have to look at the pores."
1: Oh, that is some straight up institutional racist bullshit. This is ah uh, not racist. I mean, it, it sort of is systemic. I mean, it might not be in Missouri specifically because it might be a really heavily white population, no matter where you go in the state. But if you do it anywhere so, else in the country, so then we you know, are we are the second
0: most racially segregated city, and there's been documentaries about what's called the Del Mar Divide. Which is one side is like a hundred and it's like multi million dollar homes on one side and the ghetto on the other side.
1: So then one wh- side's like 85% white and one side's 90% black. So then why is it not? Why is something like that not uh, an example of ra- institutional racism?
0: I meant for my city specifically, it's all white people that live there. So it's white trailer trash that they built a highway around. But yeah, St. Louis is one of the most segregated cities out there. We were one of the last to like get rid of um, laws that governed like what color your skin is when you're purchasing property.
1: All right, I got a couple thoughts here. So one, that mm-hmm. is what I agree with. It, like That's what I meant is that that specific instance might have been filled with white people, but that type of right. behavior yeah. is institutional. You're correct. Second, I used to say white trash all the time, but I've knocked it off, and I encourage everyone listening to do the same because that type of behavior is uh not helpful and third this reminds me of a story and you want to talk about so for those of you who don't have the uh who have made the poor life choice of not following me on twitter uh you will not know that i am one of the most staunchly leftist people you will probably hear speak uh and there's this really revealing story from like the fifties or the sixties. And I, I'm going to get to some of the details a little rough cause I'm doing this off the top of my head, but there was this uh, official who worked for, I believe it was a Reagan. It was, I mean it wasn't no cause Reagan was in the eighties. So it would have been before that Might have been the Nixon administration and they couldn't, they basically were not allowed to legally discriminate against black people in the ways that they wanted to do. So this guy gets really creative and they, they, uh, all of the buses in the city that he was, uh, doing his project in were of a certain height. They were like, I don't know, like 12 feet tall or something. So they put in the place city ordinances that bridges couldn't be more than like, couldn't be higher than 10 feet off of the ground or something like that. So that means that you couldn't take public transportation. You couldn't take buses to get to places where they built these bridges and they put those bridges up and down. Uh, these these highways, it was overpasses and stuff like that, they put them up and down the public beach. So all of the people, all of the uh, poor black people who lived in the segregated area of town couldn't take public transportation to get to the beach. And they're like, this is how you keep keep black people out of areas without making it illegal for them to go there. And bridges take you know, that is some institutional shit. Like you don't just replace a highway overpass that takes decades to repair. And that's decades in which only the white people with cars can drive there. And the black people can't take buses there. And I mean, that, that type of stuff is so devious and that is all over the place. It is insidious. I think most of Twitter is super left.
0: Like everyone that I follow that most people follow is very left. And it's interesting to see that versus like what I see in real life.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Twitter is at least uh, polarizing. You know, most social media tends to be. I was not a essentially communist when I joined Twitter, but I basically am now. (laughs) And I think a lot of people were probably grumpy white kids who felt like they couldn't catch a break when they were in high school. And then they joined Twitter, social media, and turned into white supremacists because the people, they were angry that they couldn't develop of social relationships. And then people on Twitter told them it's because they are white men are persecuted in America, which couldn't be further from the truth, but it was an excuse that they like to hear. It wasn't, you have no personality and you're an idiot and you should work on that. It was, it's not your fault. It's these other people. And then it, uh, polarizes them too. I mean, it has that effect, right? Like we've seen crazy polarization since essentially the internet so, yeah
0: so like i took a lot of political sciences uh, classes for my undergrad and it it seems like both sides are going into a bubble and neither wants to have a honest discussion between the two where you know if you voted for trump and i did not so don't crucify me listeners or crucify me because i said i didn't vote for trump but if you voted for Trump and you publicly say that, you have a lot of people on Twitter that go, holy shit, you voted for blah, 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 blah. And if I'm in real life and I say, I voted for Hillary, which I didn't, but so don't crucify me either way again. um, Then you have people go, well, why would you do that? She was in bed with big banks, blah, blah, blah. And no one wants to come to the middle and say like, I'm voting for this person because of their policies. I'm voting for this person because of their history voting, which I know is a big thing for Bernie supporters. Um, it's. it seems like both sides are shutting each other out. I mean, I'm at Mizzou, which is like the center of college protests where they will form a human wall to stop people from getting to class to uh, help spread awareness about their platform or all the graduate students go on strike and march out of the class instead of teaching because they, there's no union. Oh um, yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah.
1: I'm, I'm not saying I disagree with that you know th- this has been a common refrain from people who like to consider themselves centrists uh that like oh i can't both sides come to the middle blah 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 like i i get i kind of understand how you start with that idea but it doesn't really hold water anymore uh like first of all voltaire is out here dunking on centrism 250 years ago like we know that that is a political position. Like. Essentially, is it doesn't work, and centrism is just a hey, we shouldn't change anything. But really, like w- at this point in history, we're not talking about coming together on like, oh, how tough should we be on, you know, this kind, con- you know, how- should our tax rate be four percent or six percent or like it? It feels like some some of the stuff that you might think about coming to the middle on as being much more benign than it actually is. And what you're seeing is you're seeing a lot of people kind of wake up to the idea like. Hey, this isn't benign. This is like what, how, how you build your uh, building overpasses. This isn't inconsequential. This isn't like just find a common ground type shit. This is like you damage racial relations in a city for half of a century. When you do this type of crap, like tax rates, people are like, tax rates are boring. They're not sexy. Yeah. But you know what they do? They really matter for a lot of people. And like, Oh, a flat, flat tax rate is acceptable. And like, that's, that meets in the middle and blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, that heavily penalizes like, minority. So most of these items that you're, that that the refrain is let's find middle ground. It's like, if you examine them, the middle ground is not morally justifiable. Like either the middle ground turns into either you have to realize that the programs and the policies are advocating, uh, racism, sexism, homophobia, whichever one you want to pick. And you got to move to the left or you realize that and you go, yep, those are what I want. I'm on the right. And you know, you catch a lot of people who basically like who want to straddle that line and essentially refuse to understand what it means and don't want to move off of it and decide to live in blissful ignorance. Like, and they're just jackasses. Like they, just- yeah. And
0: at the same time, you have people who are already on the top because of these rules, right? You have the 1%. You have these people that are getting away with gerrymandering districts or stuff like that, allowing them to benefit. And their response to you is fuck you. You're complaining for stuff you don't want. Like, I'm making $380,000 a year and you're making like $40,000 a year, like get off my lawn, stuff like that.
1: The entire ethos of the GOP party is fuck you got mine. That is the entire ethos of the GOP party. I don't, I don't, you know, if you already have your
0: shit, like you obviously want to, want to keep it. Right. So they, it, it is in their self
1: interest to keep the wealth that they have and they don't care what you say. Okay, sure. Like I guess on, in the most in the most basic surface level position, you can say you should protect everything that you have. And if that means letting people die in the streets because they don't have healthcare, so that you can have a ridiculous doghouse. <laughs> that that's a problem. It's like you extrapolate and it's like that's what it turns into. Yeah, but you should also have to go. Seen. I mean, you know, if you're a human, you should also be going to the level deeper and being like, boy, instead of having a billion dollars, I could probably deal with having 300 million and then making sure, no, an exactly. enti- making sure an entire state's worth of people are eating and having somewhere to sleep.
0: No, because I network with these people and their their thought is, well, if the government wants me to only make 300 instead of a billion, well, maybe next year they'll want me to make 100 instead of 300. Stuff like so, that.
1: So, yeah, like, I, I don't you care. have to look at
0: it from their <laughs> perspective as well.
1: Which is what, but with their perspective, is I made a lot of money and I don't yeah. care if other people die in the streets. I mean, correct, that's what it boils down. Their reasoning for that is it's been this way for thousands of years. Why should it change? So, that's another good one. We've always done it this way, is the a very good reason to not do it that way any longer, right? And I mean, I don't I'm care not disagreeing. What you're talking you. about, yeah,
0: I'm, I'm not disagreeing. I'm just saying I talk with these people all the time and they're at these dinners where they have to pay ludicrous amounts of money to get a seat for some cause and they're talking about their third or fourth home they're talking about their third or fourth car and they don't want to spend they don't want to spend more than what they're forced to spend already and what they're forced to spend already is what accountants are twisting their income to make it less that they have to spend if that yeah. makes sense
1: I mean, it does like, I understand the thought process. I'm saying that basically makes you a monster like refusing to fork over more money, but because, only by your view. I mean, you can, I studied philosophy for my master's degree right. a little yeah. bit, a little bit because it was built on, it was the It was the foundation for something actually useful and practical. But I mean, morals are relative, but it's still pretty hard to come up with a moral system that allows you to leave people, Starving and hungry and without healthcare, like there's, you basically can't defend that. And that and that's in theoretical philosophy. Like practical philosophy, no, like there's no way that you can defend that type of behavior. So I have no sympathy for these people. Burn them all. Eat the rich. Invest in guillotines. Meanwhile, I'm on the other side and trying to toe a totally fine
0: balance where, because I have so many listeners that are local, that are local customers, listen to this cast. I can't say anything like out there because I'll get crucified for it in face to face. Come on,
1: man. If you're gonna yeah. have principles, stand up for them. Declare them and stand up for them. I talk with my money and I'm happy with where that's going. Yeah, so that as is far very, as where I donate that is a very convenient position to take when you are comfortable and you don't have to worry about anything.
0: I mean I, there's always everyone has problems, man. Like everyone listening to this cast has problems some way or another. But I'm lucky that I have fewer problems than most people.
1: You're right. so that I'm blessed. And okay. Just make sure, remember that, you know, you can be doing something to make the lives of others better and you can be encouraging people around you to do that.
0: We raised a bunch of money for a guy's local cancer. Uh, He was paying, he was having trouble with his bills. He had $35,000 of bills. And I said, you know what? I'm going to take every single dollar after expenses for that day of magic cards that people buy from me from the shelf. And we'll donate all that money to you. Because I can be a good guy, and it's not because of the rich philosophy of "Holy shit, I get a write off all this on my taxes." It's hey, you actually need this money.
1: Yeah, and and that's so. the, that is I commend you for, it, and it's the right thing to do, and that's what we need to see a lot more of. Uh, but really, but I mean, really, like like charity is important, and you know, being able to do that is is commendable, and I'm glad that people do do it. Uh, there's nothing wrong with it. Um, it. It's obviously a good thing to do, but but we shouldn't have to have a GoFundMe every time somebody has cancer, right? Like that's not, that's not something that should be happening. Like, so, you know, the charity from people who have the money at their discretion like that is, is, is a, is a fix for a problem that shouldn't exist. So it's like, that's great that you did it, but we've got to find a better solution.
0: Yeah. And it's by keeping your greedy liberal hands off my dollar. No, I'm kidding. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, this was actually very good discourse, Travis. Is there anything else you want to talk about so that we don't ramble for politics for an
1: hour? That's all I want to talk about. We're going to do Chapo Trap House version 2. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think that the next time we do uh, After Hours, I'm going to simultaneously Twitch stream the video game that I'm playing so people could listen to me talk and also watch me play.
0: I'm sure all one of them will really appreciate it. By the way, uh, we're gonna we're going to hook up some of the people listening to this live. Um, just to give you guys an example for those that aren't listening live, uh, what people's reactions are. Uh, Ian says, Travis is smart. He just plays dumb on Fast Finance. And someone al- also wants to know if we're talking about um, a certain uh, owner of a vintage magic shop, which I will not mention on this cast.
1: Well, I guess, uh, I, guess, I, guess I that's not directed at me, I guess. No, it rhymes with bang. That's, uh, that's the best I can do there. Oh, I think I've heard you guys talk about him. I don't... like. I, I, you guys, you and Adam, you guys have a lot of information on like dealers and players and all that type of stuff. But for the most part, like I don't know who any of these people are, or only barely because you guys mentioned them. And like anyone listening, anyone listening shouldn't feel bad if they don't recognize the names because a lot of these guys are not like public names, and you'd only know them if you're doing vendor type stuff. Even if you're buying and selling on Twitter, it's easy to miss them because a lot well, of them aren't even there.
0: They want to keep a low profile on
1: purpose, right? So yeah, I know you can- I. No, no, I understand that. And I know that there are guys out there who basically do what I do, but they do it. They keep their mouth shut and they do it hard and they're probably making six figures a year. There's a couple of them. Uh, They're really doing it, but uh, yeah, they're more interested in just nine nose of the grindstone than, than this.
0: Yeah. Meanwhile, I'm like, Hey, this is exactly how much I paid for this guy's collection. Cause it'll be on my taxes at the end of the year, either way, which are also public information. Yeah. So it's whatever. Um, So, yeah, if you're looking to get into MTG Finance and hoping that a very large collection walks in the door, I have bad news for you. This is not how this game normally works. No. You you will be lucky to make minimum wage if you're doing it correctly, which is why I don't understand why Doug is doing this full-time.
1: Yeah, right? Like, Doug is a really nice guy. I went to his wedding, but I don't get it. I mean, I guess he's just trying to do it to sort of in the interim while he cultivates his career at, like, TCG player maybe, which I can kind of see.
0: He, uh, he's had offers for
1: things outside of um, of Magic
0: Finance already for like sales and stuff from people that play Magic. And he I think he just wants to do his own thing. The problem I think is that with Magic Finance for all these goddamn shops that keep wanting me to like drive out to them to like give them my honest opinion on their business models. Like the people that... Were able to make it in this industry and grow a brand by themselves that supports themselves that like you can start a family on like power nine or something like Doug is 10 years too late for that. In my opinion, I think like every Avenue of arbitrage, every Avenue of dealer booths has already been explored. And Doug is just literally sticking his face in a hundred thousand magic cards a bulk a day and grinding that. And I don't know about you, but my priorities lie elsewhere. And if he's happy doing that, that's fine. But I don't know what you expect to accomplish besides getting paid less than what you could make in a normal job uh, doing that.
1: Yeah, I mean, some people really value the like do your own thing, which I get. Like I respect that. That's fine if that's what you want out of it. But I don't know, you, you have to realize how much that's worth you because you are sacrificing a lot to be able to do it.
0: Yeah, I mean, we, a lot of the magic finance guys that I see sacrifice their health that's like the biggest thing, because you're eating convention center food all the time and you're you don't you're not sleeping enough and you're you don't have like a normal diet. Like that's something that a lot of people are trying to work on now is like holy shit, I gained like 50 pounds in a year just sitting on my ass buying magic cards. So yeah, that,
1: that'll get you. That'll get you good.
0: Yeah, because like why go exercise for an hour when you
1: can just look at another
0: one row? <laughs> So
1: yeah, that convention food is so bad. I mean, it's hard enough to eat really healthy when like you commute, like you just go to work and come home and you can make your own dinner and like you get out of the house and you keep a normal schedule, much less trying to do it on the road. Like I assume Ed isn't fat because he just doesn't eat.
0: Um, yeah, uh, I've seen Ed eat like he's very self-conscious about what he eats and it's like the correct way to do things as far as, like, he will only eat this if he's there. So, like, he won't eat, like, chicken tenders unless he's at a specific place for chicken tenders, stuff like that.
1: Yeah. But, I mean, there's always something, right? Like, if, if that's your only rule, there's always an option. Yeah. Not giving Ed a hard time, just thinking, like, if, if that's your rule, like, oh, I'll only... my So, my fiancé was like... I told my fiancé I was giving up basically giving up desserts this year to lose weight for our wedding. And she's like, well, you know, you can still have it when we have a special occasion, like birthdays and stuff. I'm like, you've got... Five immediate family members that's and you and like six other extended family members you are up to like 12 birthday cakes in a year already which is one a month and that's just birthdays that doesn't count like all the um wedding anniversaries you guys celebrate uh first communions new children, uh, all this type of stuff. Like, you know, if that's your, if that's your rule, like I'll only do this on special occasions, it will either You will find special occasions. Let me tell you. Yeah. It
0: sounds like any way you slice it, you're going to run out of cake. Mm. I don't know. Like there's a lot of things that are wrong with this world. Like we haven't even gotten to environmental impacts. Like the fact that there's islands that are going to literally be underwater in 10 years. So yeah. I'm just that's laughing.
1: Gym. I'm just laughing because I just realized you uh, just finished three sixteen percent beers. <laughs> I might yeah, I've got realizing like, that's directing the conversation at this point. Yeah, I've got like a one sip left.
0: I mean, if we want to get into like drinking habits, as some locals know, like I have a very high tolerance for vodka and other spirits, and it is not good for my weight. But it's college, so drinking is like part of it, man.
1: I did not drink at all during college, and most of my peers did not either.
0: Yeah, it sounds like you. I, I can understand how this personality is now that you know you did not drink during college.
1: Mm. We started we started after. I mean, now I consume more than I used to. I don't drink a lot, but I obviously consume more than zero. But uh yeah, there was a period in our early twenties where our, our friend group kind of got into it a lot harder. It's the best. If you want to make poor decisions, have less money
0: and get a little fatter.
1: It will do all of those and it will do them very well. So keep that in mind.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So all of our high school listeners or something. Then again, if you're in high school, like you, here's something that we'll just sort of wrap this up with. Do you think magic players and magic finance people, because we've had this talk as far as like, there's been a lot of reactions to this bit do you think that magic players are social? Because it seems like a lot of MTG finance guys especially are super unhappy all the time. And this isn't directed at anybody. This is just directed at like what you see people tweeting, how you see see people manifest themselves in real life, and like how you see magic players at tournaments. No one ever wants to like do anything besides magic. And I think having a healthy balance if you're playing the game is having friends outside of magic that you can like take a break from if that makes sense because i know people whose only friend group is magic and that's all they ever do
1: yeah i mean it definitely is a type of hobby that can consume your free time i mean yes it can consume your free time and that's how you end up doing that i don't know i'm not sure how to answer the question are they social because i'm not exactly sure what that means
0: it seems like a lot of people are losers and I'm not even directing that at our cast. I'm directing that at like people that I see at tournaments where like their only friends are magic players. And like, other than that, if they're not at a tournament, all they do is hang out and play magic online on the weekends. Mm. Like the type of people that they get off work, they go to draft, they go home and they wake up the next day and do it again.
1: Well, I will tell you, I don't think that that's uh limited to magic players. <laughs> I think a lot of people I are, agree. are, uh, have those types of issues. So no, I, I I mean, magic players are probably statistically slightly worse than the average uh, average bear simply because the hobby in the first place attracts people of that, of that personality type. I don't know. I mean, but magic is inherently a social activity.
0: Yeah, I think it depends on what format you're playing as well. Like EDH and cube is like the best for that because you're hanging out with a bunch of people. Um, right. But at the same time, I see a bunch of people that like, They're spending their money on expensive cards because they want their friends to feel good about them or like, Hey, look at me. I'm the, I'm popular now because I bought this new card. Um, and then you're like, Oh, Hey, what are you doing this weekend? And they're like, Oh, I'm going to this tournament. Oh, okay. Like, do you want to go out for beer? No, man, I've got this tournament this next weekend. And it's sort of weird. Like I've gone fishing with gone fishing, rafting and selling with different like people, And like the times that I go with magic players that like can understand that, yes, this is not about magic. Let's not talk about deck ideas the entire weekend versus like the people that will not stop shutting up about what new tech they added. It drives me insane. And it's probably a personal thing, but it is really annoying to me.
1: Mm, I suppose. I mean, when you're young, especially when you're a little younger and depending on your personality type, you can be very obsessive um, and sort of build those behaviors. And like, it is when you're doing something, it is all consuming and then it's not until you burn out on it then you're that you're not like that. I don't know. I kind of get it. I think just different people have different tolerances for how much they engage in a particular activity in any given time. I try not to do that, but I am definitely an addictive personality.
0: Cool. Well, I'll remember to bring Coke next time we meet up. You can bring Pepsi and everyone will be happy.
1: Yeah, I have uh, specifically stayed away from uh, drugs and World of Warcraft because it would be it would mix poorly with my personality type. Yeah,
0: I was actually curious at the wedding if you were doing anything that I won't get into uh, too many p- specifics. Too many specifics, that would have been funny. Um, on people that may have been under the influence at, like, Monday and Tuesday was a shit show. Like that's what I remember from Monday and Tuesday. Wednesday was pretty normal. Like I remember most of Thursday. Talking about Vegas and here? Then, yeah, I was talking about this year's Vegas. Like Monday and Tuesday, everyone was just like, I have a week left in Vegas. I am going to go all out the first couple of days and come back down. It was uh it was really interesting to see. Like one of the guys was like pounding on the table screaming at the dealer because he was on so many different things. Like they had to like politely ask him to like start walking out, like stuff like that. I don't know, man.
1: That's somebody I know.
0: Uh,
1: I'm not going to say his name. Uh, you do not yeah, know that oh, guy. Okay. I would say you don't say his name on cast. obviously, just do I know the person. Okay. Yeah. Uh, some people know how to enjoy Vegas, I guess. The I mean, North
0: if Department you're going
1: to go and enjoy like really, if you think about like the, nat- the the natural extension of EV, right, is getting the most value for for whatever it is that you're doing. If you are out to party and have a good time, and have it and have it be wild. If you aren't getting thrown out, then you're not maximizing how wild you are, right? Like you need to be at that limit. <laughs> Ideally, is one way to think about it. So really the guys getting thrown out are the ones doing it right. Yeah,
0: I guess so, if that's what you're planning on doing. Um, anything else you wanna cover? Nope, not at all. Well, guys, thanks for listening to After Hours Number 5, where we learned how much of a leftist shill Travis is. At the same time, I am an ignorant Trump voter who uh, needs to learn his lessons on supporting common man. If you guys have any feedback, we did get a lot of good feedback on the last one with JR. If you haven't listened to it, it takes you down a very dark hole. Warning.
1: (laughs) JR is is a good guy with... uh... He's one of those people. I like Jr. He's definitely one of those people that I feel like later on in life, you'd be like, I knew this guy.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, But thanks for coming on, Travis. I hope everyone enjoyed our banter. Even if it was a little politically charged, if people are tired of politics, I'm sorry. You're going to have to deal with it. That's part of life. Um,
1: Where can people find you? I'm on Twitter at WizardBumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. And if you don't know where the rest of my content is at this point, oh well. And uh, you will be able, next time, I will stream PUBG while we play, while we talk.
0: Well, apparently the live stream really enjoyed this conversation. So thanks again, guys, for tuning in. You can always catch us live on Cartel Aristocrats on YouTube. You can find the rest of our feeds on Twitter, on Facebook, on Gathering Magic for our sponsored casts, as well as SoundCloud and iTunes. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Missouri MTG Uh, I will also be giving away um, some poor people because we need to redistribute the wealth apparently and I can't have them near me if they've got all these fancy ideas of socialism in their head and whatnot Uh, Socialism is the
1: one true choice for America Bernie would have won Thank
0: you. yeah well that's a whole another one that we could get into Uh, but we won't because I don't know, man. Like you could be anything you want unless you're Hillary because you can't be president. But other than that, we'll see. Thanks for listening to after hours. Number five, we really appreciate it. And as always have a good week, drink a little less, work out a little more, have a good time and make a little money later.